So great to be here in Northern Virginia, greater DC area. Um, always love coming here. My wife grew up in this area. She's out with a couple of our daughters right now, I think. And uh, Brett and Cynthia are among Kathy and I's dearest friends uh, for the last year. So it's always a pleasure. Can we give Pastor Danella a hand as well? Um, we recently ministered together at Princeton Seminary. And um, that's filled with smart people. I knew I was the dumbest person in the room. That don't bother me. The Holy Spirit's the smartest person in the room. And uh, Danelle and I had a tremendous time. I tell you, she was just amazing. One of the girls she discipled, Jacqueline's a student there. Honestly, we're in the middle of renewal. So many students were touched by the Holy Spirit. I just want you to know, Pastor Danelle's not just good on the home court. She's great everywhere. And um, it was just such a privilege to be with her. Well, let's pray. Father, I'm just so thankful to be here at Grace Covenant. Lord, I, I've been here... I can't count the times in the last 22 years, and thank you for Pastor Brett, this great church, his family, this great team, and I pray, Lord, that you would make your word real. As we're transitioning, Lord, out of Thanksgiving into the Christmas season, I pray, Lord, as we look at this timeless story 2,600 years ago that from the life of this obscure prophet, you not only write in our heart, you'd rewrite some of our wiring today. You help us, Lord. Amen. I've been speaking since I was 17 years old. I know I look 18 or 19. It's not true. I'm 62. I could tell you this is my resurrection body, but that would scare you really bad if this was in your future. Now, humor aside, I've spoken many times, and one of the worst things to happen as a pastor is not to be without a message, is to have two and try to figure it out. But this morning, I had three. I had the one I planned Thursday, the one I got yesterday, and the one I got during worship of the first service. So I settled on the one I planned Thursday. Shamika, one of your staff here, said, now, Pastor Jim... That message you sent me Thursday, are you sure you're going to speak? I said, I'm not sure, but I will be sure when I sit up there. So anyway, I'm speaking on the one from Thursday. We'll see if you like it. If you don't, I'm sorry. All right. Now, I'm going to entitle this message, The Grateful Life, How to Release the Power of Gratefulness Where Circumstances Say No. I want to go back to 609 BC. Israel is in trouble. About a century before... 10 to 10 and a half of the tribes have been ethnically cleansed. The remainder of their populace forcefully deported, gone. To this day, those tribal groups may be there, but it's hard to designate among the Jewish people which are which. Judah has survived, but their last great king, their last righteous leader before their destruction by Babylon about 20 years later, has just died shockingly. He brought renewal to the nation justice to the nation. It was like a last gasp of a nation for breath. But he entered into a series of alliances to secure his nation's future. Not all of them had been wise. And he'd gone to the battle of Megiddo against Pharaoh Necho. And Pharaoh Necho, who was not even a believer himself, prophesied, the Lord told you not to fight me and you'll lose if you do. He didn't listen. Came home and died. Whole nation paralyzed with grief. The great prophet Jeremiah composed a lament in the book of Jeremiah that was sung a century and still remembered centuries later. His three sons and one grandson would rule for the next approximately 20 years. All of them far worse than their dad. By the time our story opens, Jehoiakim is king, one of the sons of Josiah, Terribly exploiting the populace, brutally taxing them to build his palace. 
The whole nation is groaning in injustice. That is not enough. False religion, idolatry, temple prostitution, probably sacrificing children to Molech has made a comeback. And in the middle of this, a man named Habakkuk begins to cry out. He's one of those characters that appears on the screen of scripture with no bibliography. We don't really know anything about him, no biography, nothing about him. But his complaint and his crisis and the course God brought him on to set him free is timeless. How are you grateful when there's no natural reason? How do you find peace when your heart is palpitating, your joints are tightening up, your lips quivering, your knees knocked together, and there is no sleep? We're going to take in these next few minutes, next 27 minutes, and examine all three chapters in this book. I've never taken a book of the Bible in a sermon for sure, and maybe a flaming or something. Now, you come into Habakkuk 1, we find his context. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? You ever feel that way? Raise your hand. I'm calling but maybe you're on another letter of the alphabet. I know you neither sleep nor sleep nor slumber. Maybe you're napping. Where are you? I see violence everywhere I look, but you're not saving the people. I look at injustice every day. How can you tolerate this wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are infesting our city. Strife and conflict abounds. Our law is paralyzed. And justice never seems to prevail. The righteous seem imprisoned, and justice is perverted. I travel the world, been all over the world this year, Syrian border, all kinds of places. Heard more stories, heard more pain, but I have a lot of pain to deal with right here at home. You ever feel that way? Justice perverted. I have the privilege of talking to lots of people, some of them in very high places in government. And phone rang one night. It was one of the major figures from Black Lives Matter. And call me. Never met him. We talked, and just the pain and the agony in his heart was palatable. Like, what do you do when you see things and you feel things and you hear things, but God doesn't seem to save? And now, here's where it gets worse. He cries out to God, and the Lord's answer is worse than the current mess. Now, this is, I, I, want, I want this to sink down in your soul. And the Lord answers it. How many of you know there can be times when it starts out sounding real good from the Lord, then you get to the end? Raise your hand. <laughs> Lord says, look at the nations and watch. He's thinking, Woo! glory times are here again. My job's turning, my kid's turning, the blessing's on me. And be amazed, says the Lord. He's thinking, this is sounding better and better. I'm going to do something in your day. That means I'm not going to have to wait. How many of you know the Lord can be a little nebulous every once in a while? Like he said 2,000 years ago, I'm coming soon. Son, I'm going to help you soon. I go, that's not real comforting, Lord. Can we define that? No, but in your lifetime, I'm going to do something. You wouldn't even believe it. He's thinking, my gosh. My prayer's being answered, like now. 
Oh, yes, says the Lord. I'm raising up the Babylonians, those vain, arrogant, devilish people. They're going to wipe out your whole country. Thank you for praying. <laughs> now, this creates even a deeper crisis. Well, at least the Lord's truthful. Son, you think you got it bad now? Guess what? It's going from bad to worse. I'll never forget I was in a real crisis of faith, and this wise old minister, I said, please pray for me. Please, I just need to hear from the Lord, old wise man of God. He lays hands on me, and he starts out, and the Lord has seen your suffering. I said, yes, Lord, we're starting out well. He said, but it's nothing compared to what you're getting ready to suffer. I lost consciousness then. <laughs> so all of a sudden, he's praying, and he's crying out, and Lord, I can't take it. God said, better get ready. It's going to get worse. Now, when you're in one of those situations, with your child, your life, your business, your country, your economic cycle, where it's not just bad, you've been praying, it's going from bad to worse. That creates even a deeper crisis. In fact, the crisis beneath the complaints even deeper, and when you come now into chapter 1, 12 through 17, he says, okay, whoa, 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 wait a minute now. Lord, I know you're from everlasting. You're holy. You'll never die. Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. You've ordained them to punish. But I thought your eyes were too pure to look on this stuff. I thought you couldn't tolerate wrongdoing. Why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent? Why the wicked swallow up those more righteous? Why? Like, Lord, you see what happens. You can get in a place of such pain and such contradiction that your circumstances cause you to wonder if what you've always believed about God's character is true. If you're who you say, I've been tithing, why am I broke? If you're who you say, this is my story, I sent my son on a mission trip to the Middle East with his brother. I mean, it wasn't like I was sending him clubbing, I like sent him on the mission field. I sent him at 238 pounds playing college football. He came back and now he's dying at 107 pounds. What do you do with that? What do you do when it just doesn't add up? That it's not only unjust, it's, God, I didn't think you were this way. Like, I'm serving you. And why's my old wicked neighbor? Now, I know they're more wicked than me. How many of that comparison thing's always got a devil in the end of it? Either make you prideful or make you feel bad. They're blessed, and you hear your righteous, humble servant is not blessed. So you begin to look and say, well, what adds up? And you stay in pain long enough. It creates a crisis in your relationship with God. I was talking to an extraordinary pastor's wife recently, tremendous church, godly woman. And I said, she goes, what's wrong with me? I'm drying up. I said, your pain has affected your alignment with God's presence. And you're living on a measure of presence that's not enough. What do you do when it's just hard? I woke up on Thanksgiving and like, I'm supposed to be thankful all the time. I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. I mean, I became a Christian when I was eight years old. I woke up this Thanksgiving and I go, I go, Lord, I got to be real honest. How many of you might as well be honest with God? He reads your mind anyway. <laughs> don't try lying. It didn't work. I go, Lord, I got to be real honest. I'm not too thankful today. He goes, I figured that already. And I said, and I said, I was so overwhelmed by crisis, so overwhelmed by pain, my thankfulness is being snuffed out. What do you do? What's Habakkuk to do? Then here comes the only good news in the story. 
at least from God. But son, guess what? If you're just patient, my least favorite word from God, if you're just patient. How many of you know that's one promise always true, it takes patience. If you're just patient, I'm going to wipe out your enemies. I'm going to re-exalt this nation. And my glory is going to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. That's wonderful, but how do I make it to the end? While you're patiently waiting for God to answer your prayer. While you're patiently waiting for God to touch your child, move in your life, touch your spouse, move in your finances. How do you thrive and not just survive? Because he's just been told the injustice is not going to end. Your nation is so bad, I'm going to wipe it out. But eventually, I'll bring things back around. I love you. He's just like left in shock, wishes he wouldn't have gone to church that day. What do you do? Now, what I've examined in Scripture is there is a pattern in the great saints, whether it's Deborah, whether it's Moses, whether it's Mary, whether it's John, whether it's Isaiah, whether it's Huldah, there is a pattern in the great saints of God how they handled this pain and thrived. And this pattern is not just spiritually sound, it's neurobiologically sound. It's scientifically sound. Now watch this. First of all, you've got to position yourself right. When you hit crisis, when you hit that pain, which is like a canker on the inside of you, how you position yourself in the end will determine in many ways what this process produces. Now, back at 2.1, he says, after hearing all this bad, he says, I'm going to stand at my watch. In other words, I'm going to put myself in a place of waiting. I'm going to get up on these ramparts. So he climbs up to the top of these high walls in the fortress, looking off toward Babylon to see what God might do. And I will look to see what he'll say to me. But in Hebrew, I'll look to see what he'll say in me. Because when all your circumstances are bad, what you see is not going to comfort you. It's what he'll say in you through that word, through your brothers, through your sisters, through your pastor. What will you say in me? And how can I answer this complaint? I need an answer to the complaint that's ripping in my soul today. I need an answer to this unfairness, to this injustice. I need an answer to, it just doesn't line up with your character. My life is not lining up with what I think I know about you. What do I do? How do I live with that? How do I live with that? And then he says this, once you're positioned, you've got to face the patient reality. And God comes to him and says this, okay? The revelation, what you're asking for, awaits an appointed time. People say, pastor, what is God's appointed time? Please tell me. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now, never when you want it to be either too soon or feel too late. It's just never when you want it. I've got an appointed time. It will not prove false. What God's told you is not false, even if it lingers. Somebody said, I came into 2016 just knowing this was going to happen. It's lingered. It's affected me. It'll certainly come. It won't delay. See something. Your enemy's puffed up. His desires aren't upright, but the righteous will live by faith. Now, here's the problem with this place of patience. 
whether it's waiting for, I remember when Kathy was having seizures and she'd been treated for cancer and she had a stroke and had seizures years ago, waiting on that or waiting for my son to be healed and not die or all the things. How do you wait in that place of pain and survive? How do you wait? Because this is reality. I heard, but here's how I felt, he said. My heart pounded. I was having terrible heart palpitations. I was so stressed, my heart went crazy. It was so bad, my lips began to quiver. I could hardly even pray, I was so afraid. The stress in me got so bad, the decay was creeping into my bones. My joints began to stiffen up, felt like I had rheumatoid arthritis, and my legs began to tremble. I could hardly stand. Yet, I'll patiently wait. You see, what he is describing is all the things heavy stress and anxiety can do to you. You get afraid, you get in a stressful situation, and that flight or fight reflex kicks off in you, and all the energy in your body begins to marshal itself so you can run or fight. That may be helpful for an hour, but it ain't helpful for a year. Certain chemicals like epinephrine and norepinephrine begin to transmit down into your body and all of a sudden your heart is racing and your hands are clammy and your digestive tract is messed up. Your heart's going crazy. You can't sleep. You get tunnel vision. These can all be signs of just killing stress. What do you do? Like, what's the way out when your circumstances provide no relief? What's the way out when patience and pain blend together and leave you with a terrible word, perseverance. Patience in pain. What do you do? This is God's choice man. Literally, his heart's going crazy. His knees are trembling. His lips are quivering. I'm going to wait, but it's killing me. The agony I see, the pain I feel. Is there a way out of that? When you, you find yourself in that place, in managing that kind of stress, in that kind of crisis, what do you do? What do you do? Well, let's find out. Because as we go into Habakkuk 3, we find this process, this road, this course the Holy Spirit takes him on, which even though nothing in his circumstance changes, he is totally changed. How does this happen? How does the Spirit of God do that in you and I? That's the question. Let's look at that. So you come into Habakkuk 3, and here's what he says. Around verse 1 or 2, he says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. This is real important. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Then all of a sudden, he goes into another 13 verses of history lesson. And in the middle of his crisis, in the middle of his pain, he does something that you see this thread all the way through the Bible. It's called remember. See, even as you have muscle memory, you've got faith memory. So throughout the Bible, God says, remember this. 
Jesus said, remember what I told you. When David in the Psalm says, when I was depressed and my heart was cast out, I remembered what I heard when I went to the temple. When I was in that cave there trying to kill me, I remembered what you said. In communion today, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Why is memory so powerful? We know when we remember the acts of God and we begin to connect with them, the Holy Spirit pours down through our spirit, but it's more than spiritual. We know from neurobiology, and it's one of the reasons that post-traumatic stress disease is so hard to manage. It's because when someone is traumatized and epinephrine and norepinephrine are released, new neural patterns are cut, which connect with new neurotransmitters, and associated with that memory of trauma are all kinds of stress and all kinds of chemical changes. So for years after that trauma, if they get into a situation that reminds them of that trauma, they can be flooded with neurotransmitters. Well, just as traumatic memories are associated with negative neurotransmitters, so positive memories are associated with positive neurotransmitters. So when you begin to remember what God has said, what God has done, what he told you, how he helped you. So he began to think, I remember when you parted the Red Sea, I heard about it. I remember when you came down on Sinai. I remember when you crossed the Jordan. What happens? You don't just get a spiritual bump, you get a neuro jump. You see, I remember when Robert came back and here's the kid. When he was signed to play college football, I was crying, saving money on his education. I was real happy. Goes off to the mission field. Like I wouldn't send him to backslide. I send the mission field. Now he's dying. What do you do? You hold your boy and you're crying. I begin to think to myself, wait a minute now. I remember when I was dying at 23 with hepatitis. You healed me. Oh, yeah. I remember when Peter was sick, I thought I was going to lose him at 23. You healed him. And all of a sudden, as I begin to remember what God did, Robert didn't change, but I changed because the spirit of the Lord began to flow freshly into me. And all of a sudden, the positive neurotransmitters associated with those great moments in my life began to find, yes, Lord. Nothing had changed. Robert was still 107 pounds. Nothing had changed. Robert was still dying, but I had changed. The problem is, if you don't change, you may not even see it if your circumstances do. We see that in the book of Song of Solomon, where the young woman's so hurt, so broken, so abused, she's in this relationship with the king, which is a picture of Jesus in the church. He goes and knocks on her door. He says, listen, he says, listen, my precious one, come out. The doves are cooing. The flowers are blooming. It's warm. She goes, no, no, it's not. Until the darkness is gone, I'll never come out. The problem was it was only dark in the room of her head. It was only dark where she was. And even though the season had changed and the circumstance had changed, she was so much in pain from the last season, she couldn't see the new. But when you begin to remember, when you begin to remember what God has done and what he said or what that word said or how he set you free or what your righteous grandmother said or what you heard Pastor Brett say, all of a sudden you get a jump. But here's the next thing. This is one of the most amazing scriptures in the Bible. We come down to Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18, and he paints the Great Depression in Israel, basically. He is, paints for us now the end of his country economically. But watch what he does. Though every fig tree in Israel, not bud, 
Though there are no more grapes, no more wine. Though our whole olive crop fails, though our fields produce no more food, though every one of our sheep is gone and slaughtered, and every one of our cattle is gone, though I have crisis in my health, crisis with my kids, crisis in my job, pain I can't figure out, yet, he says, and that's what he was facing. They're going to lose all that as a nation. Yet, I, Habakkuk, I, Danelle, I, Jim, I, Daryl, I, Joe, I'm going to do something else. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful. You say, wait a minute, how can you be joyful? Joyful not like happiness. Happiness flows out of your circumstance. If they're bad, you're sad. Joyfulness flows out of the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit, and you can have it any time you choose. Why is this in the Lord, this little preposition, so important? It's because when your circumstances cry out, there's no hope for you. In the Lord, you died for me. You rose for me. You live for me. You love me. Your promises are great. And as you begin to rejoice in him, it's why in John 15, when he talks about abiding in the vine and he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, stay close to me. You'll be filled with life. You won't wither. In verse 11, he says, I'm telling you this so my joy, divine joy, can be in you and your human joy can be full. So as you begin to rejoice, something happens. As you begin to praise him, as you begin to be thankful, something happens. The life of God flows into you. Neurotransmitters are released. You begin to jump, and here's the power. Remember, this is a man that moments ago, my lips are quivering, my knees are shaking, my heart's going crazy, my bones are decaying, I'm done. But he begins to remember. He begins to rejoice. He says this, the sovereign Lord, is my strength. He's my strength. He does something with my feet. He gives me feet like the feet of a deer. Where one moment my knees were knocking, I felt like jelly, my joints were tight. All of a sudden, I can run a marathon. All of a sudden, he makes me tread the heights. All of a sudden, something's happened. I've been rejuvenated. I've been filled with life. I've been filled with life. And you see, as you're thankful, as you rejoice, it doesn't just affect your spirit, it affects your mind. Yes. I remember some years ago on Father's Day, I was managing a bunch of crisis, and my lips had gone numb, my fingers had gone numb, my toes had gone numb, and I was having trouble breathing. Thought I'd better go to the emergency room. My youngest daughter is the only one home. I go, babe, let's go to the emergency room. She goes, Why am I always the one taking the emergency room? I said, It's just your blessing as the youngest daughter. So we go to the hospital, sitting there in the hospital, I'm all numb and everything. And the Lord goes, Why are you here? Thought to myself, well, you omniscient. You know why I'm here. I'm stressed. I'm building your kingdom. That wore me out. He goes, there's nothing wrong with you. I go, your word and my feelings are in conflict right now. He said, it's just stress. Then I need a rest. He goes, rest won't save you, boy. But resting in me will go home. I witnessed all the nurses, told them goodbye, and went home. And I got home, I began to give my anxieties. I began to remember that God had never failed me. I began to remember what he did. I began to rejoice. The joy of God hit me. Every bit of numbness left my fingers. Every bit of numbness left my feet. My lip felt fine. I could breathe so good I had some cookies and milk. Now, let me tell you something. That does not mean I, don't, I believe in doctors. I believe in getting your heart. I believe in all of it. But let me tell you, 
the Holy Spirit can renew you. You don't have to fall apart while you're waiting. You don't have to live sleepless. You don't have to live with your heart racing, your mouth dry with acid reflux from stress, wondering why your hair is falling out of your head. Listen, the results of living in stress on your person staggering. No matter where you are today, maybe like a backache, you say, dear, things going from bad to worse. My only answer is it's going to get better one day. But I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember what you've done, what you've said, what you've told me. And I'm going to rejoice. And I'm going to take that joy that can always be found in you. Though my circumstances are dire, I won't live in the mire because your word is true and you're not a liar. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe you. Remember, rejoice, renew. Remember, rejoice, renew. Pastor Danelle, can you join me up here? You just say today, Pastor Jim, I need that renewal you're talking about. I want to remember what he's done for me. I want to rejoice. I want to be, re if you need that renewal of thanksgiving, just put your hand up and wave it at me. Put it where I can see it. If your hand's up, stand up. I'm going to pray for you right now. We've had hundreds and hundreds stand every service. Makes me feel better every service. I'm not the only one. I want you to pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I come to you. I choose to remember today everything you said about my child, my job, my health, my finances, my country, my dilemma. I remind myself of what you said. And right now, what I'm remembering is different than what I'm facing. But your word's still true. And right now, I rejoice in you. Right now, I thank you. Thank God over that crisis right now. Thank God that he's able. Thank God in the face of no hope. Thank him. Just thank him right now. Let his joy flood into your soul. Let his joy flood into your life now. I love this part. Now, Lord, we need the renewal of the Holy Ghost. Ask him. Lord, renew us. Renew our mind. Renew our neural patterns. Renew our body. Renew our spirit. Renew our emotions. One of the great psychologists of modern day, award-winning author, wrote the book Positive, and she says this. She said, you need to ritualize gratitude in your life. You need to ritualize it. Because your choice to be grateful doesn't just affect your emotions. Your choice to live that way affects your very cellular structure. Even as negativity can bring decay in your cellular structure, so positivity and gratefulness and thankfulness can touch the very cells in your being. We choose to thank you today. We choose to accept the renewal of the Holy Spirit today. Lord, in this conflicted, broken planet, we don't have to live prey to stress. And Lord, right now, I receive your strength. Give me the feet of a young mountain deer. Let me tread the heights, God. Let me rise up and run and not be weary. I receive your spirit, Lord.